forward. If you guys want to come ahead, uh, we have four guys that we're just going to ask some questions of. And while they're coming forward, I'd like to play a little video. Um, yeah, children, you're dismissed. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and play that video, uh, David. Thank you. Wisest minds on the planet. You guessed it, dads. This is Ask a Dad. What should I do if my kids won't come when I call them? Oh, turn off the Wi-Fi. I forgot. And watch them all magically appear. Will my children ever let me use the bathroom in peace? Yes, when they move out of your house. When we're playing sports, should I let my kids win? Absolutely not. It's not your fault God bless you with incredible athletic talent. Why is there peanut butter on the back of my couch? Why are there Legos in the fridge? No one knows. What if my kids don't think I'm cool? It doesn't matter, because deep down, all dads know that they are so cool. How come nobody laughs at my amazing dad jokes? Because... You're doing it right. Why can't my kids remember to do their chores? Because that part of a child's brain is reserved for remembering all the things you hoped they'd forget. Why won't my children listen to me? What? How do I get my kid to eat dinner? You look them right in the eyes and you tell them you are going to your friend's house for dinner. Problem solved. As a dad, how can I dress for success? Two words. Cargo, shorts. <laughs> what do you think? Did you ever want to ask a dad something? Um, <laughs> so... I'm so grateful that, that we can uh, be a part of God's plan for our lives, connecting with dads. And uh, this is actually God's heart. It's his design. It's his plan. You know, when you set out to be a dad, sometimes you don't have everything figured out. And um, there is some basic things that going into being a, a father. And I just thought I'd read this real quick. We're going to, we, we got these guys. Aren't you excited to hear what they have to say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Woohoo! They're gonna say something, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but one of the first places God refers to Himself as a Father is in First uh, Chronicles seventeen, and He's talking to David. And he's talking about David's son, and it's kind of interesting because He's talking to the father of Solomon and telling the father of Solomon that He's going to be Solomon's father. Is that kind of interesting? And so, uh, now, if, if you read down, he keeps going on, and he, he puts promises, and he also puts guidelines with those promises. And so, it's kind of interesting. You can just see in this one passage, in, in 1 Chronicles 17, 13, it says, I will be his father. Isn't that interesting? God's, you know, up to this time, he's been talking about being somebody's God, but now he's talking about being his father. And listen what he has to say. I will never remove my mercy and love from him as I did from Saul. Isn't that interesting? Now, when you, when you look at, at some of these, um, 
surrounding verses, the context of this, he does say that if he turns from me, there's going to be punishment. So he puts this guideline on it that, that a father needs to have guidelines and there needs to be discipline involved, but he makes this very wonderful commitment that no matter what he does, my mercy is there for him. My love is there for him. He will be disciplined because the discipline is good for him, but I will never remove my mercy and my love from him. Isn't that wonderful? So God, in the presentation of talking about Solomon, kind of gives his perspective on what fathering is. And there's a whole bunch of stuff you got to fill in the blanks, you know, like where are the Legos and stuff, you know. But, but the basic guidelines, there has to be discipline, but discipline with a, an assurance that there is always love, always mercy. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what we get from our Father God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them a few questions. It's, we're just going to kind of have some fun. But um, in the process, I want us just to uh, just have a sense that our Father God is here in this room with us right now. And he has a purpose for our lives. And part of the purpose is, is providing a guideline in the word. It's going to say, this is what you need to do. If you step outside of this, there's going to be repercussions. It's not me doing it to you. You know what he says? He says, your enemies are going to be the punishment. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, I'm going to do this to you. He said, the world's going to do it to you because you've got outside of my protection. Right? He said, but every time you come back to me, I'm here. Isn't that a wonderful approach? Hallelujah. So, we're, we're going to... We're going to get started here, and uh, I just want to open it up with, um, we, we have a question, um, just, is, is there any, uh, and we're going to allow each one of you to respond to this, is there any fictional or, or actual or TV uh, models of, of fathering that you, that you uh, can look to or you would admit to? Um, in front <laughs> no, we'll start with Larry. We'll just go down there. Yeah, Larry's trying to, to get out of it here. Yeah. That didn't work. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Let me just introduce for, for anybody that, that might not know who these guys are. This is Larry, uh, Larry Gable, uh, Daniel Byers, John Johnston, and Buddy Bayer. And uh, they've all been a part of this body that's, that's been a, a foundational part of this body. And, and, uh, and I believe they have wisdom that they've lived what we're talking about. And so when they get ready to tell you who their uh, father model is, it's because uh, they've been a part of this body, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> all right. So this is Larry. My wife says I always make things unnecessarily complicated, but I, you know, it's simple. When you enjoy something, you get involved in it. And I, uh, I chose this character as a father figure, not knowing I was choosing a father figure. Most of you are gonna know or saw who Popeye was, okay? <laughs> I mean, not not just seen the the cartoon, but grew up with it. I mean, he, Popeye was a man's man. He was he 
he was an adventurer. <laughs> he was always about doing something. And he, he was he was he was clever in his mind. He was busy with his hands. He he, he had a saying to um, um, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And and I I would hear that and he was he was strong in who he was. He was good in his own skin. He always ended with a little song. It had a cadence to it. I'm strong to the finish. Oh yeah, because I eat my, I spinach. Eat my spinach. But but <laughs> I'm strong to the finish. I'm oh strong, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm strong to the finish. Yeah. Man, that stuck with me and I am who I am. Um, that those things resonate That's through good. my life and I and I was able to take that and see it in how I I became a man, how I became a father, and what I expected of, okay. of my kids. So, uh, Popeye the Sailor that's Man. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Daniel, what you got? Well, since we're in church, uh, I'm going to go with God. <laughs> I mean, who else as a father can get rid of their kid before they're even born? I've been trying to get rid of my two for the last 18 years, and nobody will take them. <laughs> no, uh, obviously you go, you you do look at that, but my father, and that's most kid boys, is their father is going to be their role model as a father, um, and for different reasons. Um, mine, most of you probably don't know, but my father was not my bio biological father. Uh, my mom fornicated. And uh, I had me out of wedlock, but they got married when I was about two and a half years old. And I think about a year after that, my dad adopted me, and he's been my father the whole time. We have to use the word fornication because my kid is 18 and starting to date, so we're talking about that a lot at home right now. <laughs> there will be none of that, right, Ryan? Um, but he, I knew that he wasn't my biological father growing up my whole life but most people did not, and I, not knowing that it was, would have never known that he wasn't my biological father. He treated me like I was his firstborn son. He treated me like I was his own kid, and to this day, I'm still his favorite. Um, <laughs> but just the, everything else that he did through action, just his work ethic, always providing for the family, putting the family first. Um, he was gone a lot because he was a fireman, so he worked 24-hour shifts, and as firemen go, they generally work overtime, so they work those 24-hour shifts turn into 48, 72, 96-hour shifts. Um, sometimes in Southern California, that turns into a two-week shift, depending on the fires. Um, but he never complained about doing that, and we always knew that he was out providing for the family, and when he got home, we were a family again, and nothing had, nothing had changed in those however many days he was gone. And just that putting his family first and doing what he needed to do for his family was, was a big... Um, lesson for me growing up as a kid and I told him once yeah it's because of you that I'm the grumpy old man that I am now <laughs> so that would be my father figure yeah that's good I, I like that because it doesn't take biology to father um, we're kind of experiencing that ourselves with our with our grandson and, and um, it's it can be a little bit awkward from the father side sometimes because because you know where you're at with that relationship but the role doesn't change the the, the parameters, uh, and 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 what you're doing is you're modeling too. It's like 
there's a reason why Larry looks like Popeye is, is because <laughs> he watched a lot of Popeye. <laughs> but it does, it, it, becomes, it becomes a model for you that you, you emulate, right? And, and, and that's so important. John? My father figure was my real father. Uh, go figure. Uh, he, uh, he was older when, when I was born. He was 41. Uh, so, uh, and he was not in that great of health. He had heart problems, he had flea bites, he had gout, all these things that uh, kind of slow you down a little bit. So, growing up, we didn't play a lot of baseball, we didn't go fishing, we didn't go hunting or anything like that. He worked for the state, started out as a teacher, met my mother teaching school. She was a teacher, he was a principal. Uh, he switched from that over to rehabilitation and uh, worked very hard to get uh, rehabilitation separated from the Texas Education Agency. Uh, uh, he was gone a lot on business trips, uh, this sort of thing, but uh, when we were together, I knew he loved me. He was a, a very uh, intellectual person, smart. I, Smart's the best way I can say it. Uh, uh, but he taught me integrity. He taught me dedication to, uh, to something. His dedication was to helping the handicapped people of the state of Texas. And that's what he spent his life doing in the rehabilitation field. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a role model uh, in many, many respects. Uh, like I said, it was kind of an unusual uh, situation because of his health and the things that he did uh, uh, vocationally, but uh, we had we had a close relationship. We had some some very good talks, especially after I was growing up and and experiencing girls and women and this sort of thing. Uh, his wisdom was was invaluable. Uh, I lost him early on because. He was older when he had me. Uh, he, he passed away at 69, which was uh, about five years after I graduated from high school. So after that, uh, I, I didn't have a father figure except for the Lord. Uh, but I have a father, so uh, I had to turn to him to, to get that fatherly advice. So, so my uh, <laughs> fictional character is uh, Joe Biden. I figured that uh, oh, if, if oh. he can do that, then anybody can. So that taught me that anything is possible. There we go. Can I say that? <laughs> that's we good. Just, yeah, we just that's got good. pulled from YouTube, didn't we? No, no, that's good. That's, that's actually possible. No, there's there's a guy named uh, Dick Holt. You guys know the story of Dick Holt? He's kind of a cool story. You should you should Google him. But um, he I don't he he passed away now. But he he was uh, his son had uh, cerebral uh, palsy. Yeah, you've seen the pictures of him, like, pushing his son. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, he did, he did, like, 30, was it 32 years or something crazy like that? 32 years of doing marathons. And but they weren't just the, marathons. No, it was, like, the Boston Marathon is where he actually so. got, you know, pretty popular. But triathlons and so boating and running and, yeah. and um, cycling and all those kinds of things. But it was so cool because his son, his son's name was Rick. And um, I, I think he's still alive, but he, he always would say that, you know, he expressed that when he was... Um, in the events or in the triathlons or in the in the races that he didn't feel um, 
he didn't feel like he had a disease or a handicap of any sort. Just a really, I mean, if we're going to go sappy here, we're, that's just a really cool uh, <laughs> yeah, story, yeah. I think, of, you know, just being present and yeah, literally going the extra mile, 26 in marathons, right? Going the extra mile of, of being there. Yeah. Um, the dedication, the um, training, they, they did all kinds. If you ever read the story, there's a YouTube video, I think, on it, but you should look at it. It's so inspiring. The, um, man, the, the amount of time he took to um, pour into his son was incredible. So uh, he's probably a little bit better than Joe, but um, but in both well, cases, you they, got, they you got to have what to do and possible. what not to do, I guess. I yeah, know. you got uh, both sides. Um, but um, you know, something that, that just comes out of that, and I think it might some, be something we allude to a little bit later too, though, is what, what, what you see in that is not not just what he's doing with his son, but what he's not doing for himself, you know. The, the um, sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah the, the part of his sacrifice. life that he's laying down so for and the his time. Son. Yeah, uh, you know, which is the most valuable thing we have—the time that he devoted to. Yeah, it. yeah, incredible. So sacrifice in that regard too. Yeah, but, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's he good. wasn't just participating with him; he was literally dragging him along. When, when they were running, oh, it's incredible. When they were running, he was pushing him in a stroller. When they were biking, he was in a trailer on his bike. And when he was swimming, he had the his son was in a little boat that was wrapped around him that he would drag when he was swimming. So it wasn't just, uh, hey, let's go do something fun. It was, it was a big weight. It, it was yeah. Yeah. a big weight. And they yeah. didn't finish last. They, they actually placed <laughs> pretty well. That's amazing. Yeah, that's inspiring. That's good. That's good. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's get into some of these other questions here real quick, too. Uh, um, and I'm just going to go down the line. Uh, I have one here for Larry. It says... How has being a father affected your relationship with your heavenly father? So what I'm thinking about that is, is because um, it can go both ways. How does your relationship with your father affect your fathering? But how does your fathering affect your relationship? And that would have been a lot father? easier to answer. How right, does my relationship yeah, right. With God affect fathering? But I really, I, you know, I appreciate the question because it really made me... Uh, take a, a see the gravity of being a father and you know we we all have the need to to provide to have food and shelter it's not just a dad thing it's it's you know you you spend most of your day most of your energy most of your thought on food and shelter and so as a father, that goes a lot deeper. It's not for me. It's, it's for the children. It's for my family. It's for what I have become uh, a, a covenant relationship with. And um, so I, I, uh, it, it really challenged my personal relationship with God because I was so dedicated, so driven to provide that food and shelter. And, uh, and one, one of the stories that came to mind was that the, the children of Israel were prisoners, were slaves in Egypt, but they, uh, when they left, when they, were, when they were out on the desert, they were following God, they were up against the wall, they had no means of, Moses was not going to 
provide for them the, their comfortable life, their food and shelter that they had become so accustomed to was gone, and they turned to God. And um, so as a father, I've really uh, I, I found that place where I, I realized that God's hand, God's direction, God's provision was in front of me, and that's and that's that was the um, the weightiness of being a father was having that uh, that provenance of a, of a father ahead of me, seeing my seeing the need for food and shelter and provision and protection, and uh, and in pushing me in that direction. I I think that God uh, uh, saw me as a father in a way that I didn't know or understand yet. Yeah. So He's always showing me that man something in my spirit that's good as a father as i as i was striving to be a father a provider i uh I, there there was an inspiration a spiritual core that was waking me up to who that who that man is to become yeah that's great that's great. You know, I'm so inspired by that because uh, there's so many references to how God sees us that is related to being a father. And and sometimes we're trying to relate to an unseen God that, that we're trying to understand somehow. And going through the experience of being a father, uh, it's like you said, it gains this understanding for what he's seeing in us, what he's wanting to accomplish in us. That's so powerful. I think there's revelation that you get about God that you don't, until you parent, you just don't have that, that perception, you know. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, Daniel, what has been your greatest joy and fulfillment as a father? I thought I'd tap into a side that... <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't mean to, but I'll just rip you a little bit. you put bit. me up here, then you make me think. <laughs> now you make me talk to people about feelings. Right, yeah. Yeah, we thought we'd tap that. <laughs> no, no. That. Buddy already cried. Larry already cried. The two that are out of the way. So if I cry, something's really wrong. He's hurting. So how can we hurt him real quick? And, now, I think it kind of comes down to all fathers is the first thing they try and do with their kids is get them to smile. They try and get them to laugh as babies. And they just get, as babies, they get that belly roll that just keeps going for no reason. I mean, you turn your face sideways and they laugh or you throw something at them and they laugh. And it's, well, normally like a pillow or a brick or something. And then they just laugh. And But I think the older they get that... That laughter, that joy that you like to see from your kids, it also morphs into accomplishment. And you love to see their accomplishments. Who they develop and what, into. And what they have done and, and the pride that they see and the stuff that they've accomplished. And and then that reflects back on you and makes you think, well, maybe I did do okay. I mean, they're they're accomplishing stuff. They're, they're getting stuff done well, and they enjoy doing it as well. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing is just the, the joy that, that I can provide to them, and it's not every day we're out doing fun things, but, I mean, the occasional dad joke or pun, because Ryan loves puns. Um, 
it kind of reminds me of the story of the two silkworms that they decided they were gonna race and then they ended up in a tie. So in 10 minutes, when people start laughing, they finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, but just, the, just seeing the joy on their face and, and the, the laughter and the happiness that, that they get is... Is there, is there an element in that of... Because I, you know, I know you've, you've grown up uh, you know, trusting in God, and, and I believe we're always growing in that understanding. But... Children are one of the biggest applications of our understanding of God. And uh, what's happening in your children is a reflection of your belief. Uh, and, and there can be joy. And it's not just you. I mean, you, you said, I did something right. You know? no. I don't mean to do that too much. But it's, it's wow. What God, the understanding I have in God is producing fruit. And to, you know, on the, on the face side of that. Right. And, yeah. and again, it comes back to the, the initial question is that action is just following what, what you see. And I mean, ask Emma, I'm not the happiest person in the world. I'm not all <laughs> around smiling every day. I'm your, your, your kids have brought us joy. It's, it's been a joy to see them grow and, and develop and commit their lives to God. And, and what, what a blessing that is. That's great. Uh, John, this this is kind of a long question, and <laughs> so I've given these guys the questions ahead of time. So they're, I'm not just making them go for it in front of y'all. But um, uh, th this is what is your recommendation to an expecting first time father or one with young children, in light of your experience? How has your perspective changed, and what do you wish you knew then? And so, what I'm, I'll try and bring this down. That was kind of long, wasn't it? So. When, when you're when you're a first time father, you think you got it all figured out till 20 years later, and you say, "I wish I knew. I wish somebody told me back then what I think I know now." That's what I'm going for. Is there is there something that you can say, "Man, I wish if somebody just told me this." Well, first of all, <clears throat> you should forget about all the pleasures you used to know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the going out with the guys and playing poker and going fishing and hunting and all these things that you did free willy and, and no cares about anything else that time is over <laughs> you're not going to have time for that all the time you can do it every once in a while but your job is to be there and be a helpmate with your wife to raise those kids and it's going to take a lot of time and you can forget about, especially at first, you can forget about a lot of sleep. You're going yeah. to be up a lot. The things I wish I knew uh, then that I found out later <laughs> was basically how important uh, I was to their lives. Uh, it's not evident at first. I mean, you have to, of course, provide food, shelter, this sort of thing. You help your wife as much as you can. Uh, do all the things that you need to do. Change the diapers, you know, feed them bottles and this sort of thing. <clears throat> but little did I know that even from the very beginning, the things that I did made it, would make a difference in their lives. Uh, you have to be a standard for them. Yeah. You cannot 
uh, waiver from the standards that you set uh, for them, even as much as they push you, uh, they cry, they tell you they don't love you anymore, uh, they wish you weren't their father. <laughs> all these, you too? All these no. things that, that kids will throw. No, that never you. happened to me. I'm sorry. You, you've got to have a tough skin and let them just roll off because you know that what you're doing for them is the best thing. Yeah. And and they're watching everything you do. Yeah. Everything. They know it when you cheat on your taxes. They know it when you talk ugly to somebody else. They know it when you talk bad about people. Yeah. They know all the bad things you do. And if you don't want them to do that when they grow up, you better stop doing it when they're growing up. Yeah. Uh, because they will pick up on the smallest of things. Uh, there's a country western song out that uh, this guy sees his son praying to God just like God's a friend to him. And he said, son, where'd you learn to do that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. You know? So he was learning from, from his dad how to talk to God, how to pray, how yeah. to do everything in life. We are teaching them by, by what we do and how we live our lives. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the tie? Yeah. You got the tie? Anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you've got to you've got to be a standard for them, and you can't let them push you around because they will try to manipulate you. They'll try to control you with love, favors, or whatever. And regardless of what they do, that would make you want to bend and give in. You can't do it. You've got to be strong and stay the standard in their life. Yeah. Believe me. When they grow up and they look back at how you brought them up, they will come and thank you for it. Yeah. They truly will because it's happened to me. I, I was a tough dad in a lot of respects. Some Debbie took up where I wasn't tough. She took up and, 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 and helped me. But they, they respect me now more than ever. And they have come back, especially when I fought they're mine from a previous marriage, and when I fought to get custody of them, they've both come back to me on more than one occasion and said, and thanked me for fighting for them because they realized what their life would have been if I hadn't. So they, they watch everything, they see everything, and believe it or not, they know everything because you can't hide it from them. <laughs> not, not for very long. Just, just like they can't hide things from you, they thought Debbie had eyes in the back of her head for years <laughs> because she could, she could tell what they were doing even if she wasn't looking at them. But the thing, the thing is, be the standard and don't waver because when they're old and they look back, they're going to appreciate so much what you, the way that you lived your life to give them the examples they needed. That's great. That's great. Thank you. <clears throat> So, buddy, well, how, how did you notice they found something good about a country and western song? <laughs> I just going to re-highlight that. I think Sandra did one of these back there. 
<laughs> it's the one. Okay. The, the only one. It's good. That's a positive. Uh, so what has been most challenging you for you as a father? The, the, you might have had to think about that a little bit or something. I don't know. But uh, what's been most challenging? You already know. <laughs> no, I, I do know. I, you know, that's a really good point about creating a standard. That, that absolutely is part of, I think, all of our struggles is making sure that we're, uh, we're always on. You know, yeah. when you're on, it's like... It's game time all the time. Ooh, it's always game time. You can't mess up. Yeah. You know? Have you ever messed up before? I mean, I have. Yeah. And in front of your kids. Yeah, and you almost have to just kind of, kind of, you know, go with it, admit it, be transparent. I messed up. Um, remember the time when I, uh, I was it Christmas. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Might be better for her to tell the story. She remembers it too. No, I can't remember why I got upset, but there was uh, some reason I got upset. Y'all ever gotten upset? I got upset at something, and uh, it was Not one at of Christmas. those. Not a Christmas. Not a Christmas. No. Yeah, I know. That's why I said I prefaced it with Christmas, and and it was a drawer I was trying to get open, couldn't get it open. I know it sounds really stupid now, but at the time I was really intense. Yeah. And 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 I don't get real upset very often like that, but man, that drawer would not open. It would not open, and I was mad at whatever I was mad at, and let's just say by the time the drawer, the I pulled the drawer really hard, and it started falling apart. Everything kind of started breaking. And that's when I just decided to take the drawer and go ahead and disseminate it all the way. And I crashed <laughs> it on the ground, turned around, picked my keys up in my wallet, and went to Lowe's to go rebuild a shelf <laughs> or a drawer. Never said a word to anybody. But I had to later, right? I had to kind of come clean on, you know, I was wrong. I, I, I totally made a mistake. And so you always get opportunities like that. But on Christmas, I got to build a drawer. So that was really good. But I, I think for me, you know, the, back to the question, Probably the biggest challenge for me is I'm really a driven person. So, you know, whether it's work or whether it's uh, play or whether it's anything, I'm, I'm a really driven person. So early on, I had to be careful that I wasn't driving my kids, uh, you know, a little oh, too much. yeah. So, you know, it's T-ball. I wasn't the guy. Now, I wasn't the guy <laughs> screaming at the kid at T-ball. I wasn't, but I was really close to, like, you Inside, know, that voice I inside. I wasn't you. screaming as much as I was, like, let's work on that. Keep keep alligator. Throw, keep, keep throwing it back. Keep Okay, I know it's two hours of T-ball practice. We can practice another three more. You know, it's kind of like, you, you know, you just want to And you guys maximize. lived on that cul-de-sac, too, yeah, when we, they were little. So you played oh, all the time in that Always cul -de -sac. trying to maximize. I think we made them take swim lessons till like, the swimming instructor was like, okay, they don't need to learn anymore. And I'm like, you sure? <laughs> Maybe they can get a little bit better. You know, it's just like, you, you know, you're getting told you're doing a little too much. And so it's just those kinds of things where I was always driven to try to, to really maximize them to make them the best they possibly could be. But I had to realize, and, you know, Sandra helped me on some of that kind of, you know, it's they're five, they're six. You might want to back off just a little bit, you know. It's okay if they kind of grow. It's their journey. So it, it, it took me a little bit to get that, though. And, and actually, you know, that, that was a good lesson for me with my kids because I was doing it, like, in the workplace, too. And so oh. it, was a, it was something I just had to mature and develop on, on myself. And so your kids kind of helped you in your personal... They did. They absolutely did. Because yeah. it was, you know, a practical experience that was going on each and every day yeah. that I could, I could always uh, get a chance to improve on and always get a chance to perfect. So, you know, getting a balance to... You know, wanting to help them become the best they can be, but also giving them a chance to, you know, be empowered to make mistakes. That's good. Um, instead of got to be perfect. So, um, I mean, that that probably started like like when they 
It's like me with Hayden trying to get him to walk right away. It was so frustrating because uh, uh, I, I started walking when I was like nine months, and I don't know if they were working with me or not, but, man, I was working with Hayden because, man, I wanted him to. Right, and he didn't, you know, kids just walk when they, they decide to walk, you know. And the problem was he decided to walk when my best friend came to town. And he walked to my best friend. It's like, what's with that, you know? But my question would be, uh, you, you know, there's that, that thing that happens when they're really little and you're, you're all over them. I mean, you can make them, you know, practice for two hours or whatever. But uh, I guess with all of us, what I, what I know and what I'm finding out is that I'm still a father. And how does that change? You still want the best for them. You're still driven for them. You're, You're still, still but, give them guidance. But them. how? So so that all kind of has to evolve because you can't hey say hey we're going out and practicing this together. It's like uh, you might be getting God involved in. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it's the patience thing, right? And in, in, in that representation that you just said, I, I had the chance to understand patience. But you know, it's kind of like that's a godly thing too because He has a lot of patience with us. Yeah. So. You sometimes forget that. And so that was my thing is I had to learn and develop the patience of allowing some of that to grow. And inside of doing that, I was growing as well. So it was like a two-edged sword. Isn't, isn't there a sensitivity, too, for each child? Because I know. Oh, man, yes. I mean, each one is. Um, and, and, and again, that to me, I'm just thinking about this. But what a wonderful uh, revelation of how God is with us because uh, we're, we're also different. Mm -hmm. And we all, I mean, you can push some kids and they're okay. Then other kids, you have to say you have to yeah, there's get some ice cream or something. You know, it's like <laughs> there's different facets of God in there, and we can see that in the reflection of all of us, and and we see it in our, our kids. They they operate a little different. And so you're right in 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 working with them to help maximize them. How I would treat one, I would treat maybe a little different with the other. Yeah, uh, one might have been a little bit more sensitive to things each one of others. your kids is just so unique. And sometimes they'll just take off and do it all on their own. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some you have to journey out ahead a little bit uh, farther and take more risk. It, it's really, you know, for me, it was kind of like understanding how they worked, right? You know, those first five years or six years or 10 years, you're starting to understand how their strength suit works. Like in the first 18 years, their strengths are being developed. All of our strengths are developed in the first 18 years. So we're getting to understand them at the same time. We're trying to learn right, how to be right. the best father we can to them and doing the things that John was talking about. It's like, what's the right way to represent that? What's the right way to establish that standard that they'll understand it and embrace it where it's not coming across harsh or driven or, you know, kind of pushing? Yeah. So it's, it's fine. And each one of them are so different that you have to kind of, it's a discovery for you. But in order to get that discovery, you also have to be present. Yeah, yeah, you have to put the time into it. Yeah. yeah, you have to build a relationship. You have to, and same kind of, you know, reflect back to God. We, in order for us to perfect our, our one of our facets that strengths that He's given us, we have to be present with Him. That's good. Uh, that's so good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I know, I, I know, with Larry, uh, you actually favor your your father quite a bit, don't you? It scared my wife when she saw a picture of my dad and I fishing. We're, we're standing there in front of this big board, and I mean, it was, you had to do a double take because we both had the same beard, the same color hair, same amount of baldness, and uh, it's just, you know, that you had to look hard to see the age difference. Yeah. There's her son and father. Yeah. So I do favor him. Yeah, so, so uh, your father's story, you know, I, I, you know we've, we've already had, father being a figure in your life but 
How how has has his actual story um, uh, affected you in your life? So the story is his dad, and uh, his father was a stoic German. He didn't speak English. He could, but he wouldn't. Huh? And he was a master carpenter. I, when we would when we would go visit, I'd look through the window in his shop, just amazing tools and lathes and all this stuff in perfect condition and everything laid out is like a magazine picture. But don't get to go in. Don't even ask him to go in the shop and see that really? stuff. It's his stuff. It's not <laughs> yours. And and it, so uh, my dad was born during the depression he was one of seven kids so he had you know his his impression of value and and um and and how you apply yourself was really all about all about that food and shelter thing of of being uh, responsible in the family unit and uh so when he married my mother who was, uh, her, her dad was on the railroad, so they were vagabonds. They were, you know, they were all over the country. And so I think there was a, a bit of relief and, and freedom in that, in that idea and that lifestyle. So it doesn't surprise me that he picked an opposite for a mate. Um, and I, I think that what he missed as a, uh, from his father, he got it. He understood it, but he didn't receive it. So he was ready to go out and do stuff. I mean, we we did long camping trips, two or three weeks uh, during the summer that he would just he would drag up off the job he was on. We'd load up the station wagon with the collie and and everything and take off to Yellowstone and just make a way. You know, and that's what it's, I'm sure there was more of a plan to it than that, but. It was that uh, that willingness to to pick up and go and be outside that that he he relished and uh, and obviously a lot of that stuck with me and became a passion for me. And um, you think it would have happened without him? I would I would think so, but uh, uh, it was it was great to have your father encouraging you. In the stuff that me, in the stuff that you showed interest in, and uh, instead of I, instead of squelching it or saying in, don't do that, instead of or, we don't have time for that, right? We, you know that's an unnecessary expense. Uh, there's no value to that. Um, he he, he was, made a he way was, for he it. Was, he was he he put all that away. Don't get don't get so burdened with life that you you miss the joy of finding out what you know how you can express yourself in it and be a be a uh, a value there there's so many things that you're good at but you don't know it until you try it and and you don't realize that you're that you this is a passion to be developed in you uh but if you've got a, a father that will encourage you to try it and get out there and fail or you know get out there and get lost you know um then you're you don't you're just in this narrow path of life and and mine was not that way at all so um um i think you're in boy scouts you're in cub scouts as a bobcat at about six or seven years old 
Yeah. And and so I started Cub Scouts as soon as I was old enough to do it and stuck with it until I was an Eagle Scout with all three palms and all the, all the accolades that you can achieve. Uh, and my father was a scoutmaster from the beginning to the Really? To the wow. end. Um, huh. And and, uh, and so, you know, that was a, that was a support. Um, I, you know, and, and like you're, like you're saying, uh, John, they, I resented him because whenever we were getting in trouble and setting stuff on fire and, and that we shouldn't be, then I was the one that got pounded because I was a scoutmaster's son. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it, it's not that I didn't deserve it, but the point is, I was I had the opportunity to go out there and set the woods on fire, whether I should or shouldn't. It was you know he op he opened those doors for me. Uh, so I think that that my kids have had a a tremendous amount of exploring who they can be and who they will become, because my father, uh, you know, encouraged me to to take one more step. You know, you know, what do you think about that? Well, let's go try it and see. Yeah, well, that didn't work, but we, you know, we, another variation of that, you know, and, and so. You know, I, I think that's so important, and, and this does relate to our, our Father God. I think it's so important to, to get to know our God. Um, I was inspired by, by a famous person right now that, that is very successful and stuff, and they got it from their grandparents, uh, a, 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 an affinity for exploring and, and developing developing things and I was thinking about it with regard because when you're in the middle of it your, your, your dad didn't realize or your grandfather didn't realize what influence he was having you know in his creativity what he was actually inspiring in his son but and, and what, what we're doing to not just our sons but to generations to come and 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 how there's this uh, you know my my grandfather was a county commissioner and you know, built roads and drove a stagecoach. And dad tells stories about him, you know, out farming and swearing because he, you know, hurt this or that, you know. And he cut off a couple fingers because, and his, you know, and, and all those stories of, of your heritage, that they're actually forming an image in yourself of what you're going to do. And, 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 and enabling something in you. And, and I don't know, I was, I was thinking about that because you're not just you. You're a result of where you've come from, you know, and how powerful that is in our understanding with our Father God, too. We're not just us, you know, but you got to find out who they are and, and hear those stories and, and find out what kind of, they're explorers. They do amazing things, you know, and, and how, how, how enabling that is. And, and, and then in the midst of it, as, as I, I just think about that as a father. I mean, I, the, more gray, <laughs> the more gray I get, the more I realize that my life isn't about me. It's about the people that have come through me, you know. And, and, and the more I, I think about my father right now, and he's, you know, I'm going to go up to his birthday this next uh, week or so. And, and I'm just thinking, um, what what an amazing legacy! I guess part of that is like a legacy that, that that takes place in your in your life. How important that is! How how, how much how, how great that understanding of the, our Father is though with with that is that's what He wants to impart who He is into us. That's great. Um, thank you.
Thank you. Uh, Daniel, in what ways have you seen God demonstrate his love through you in your approach to your father? Man, I'm touching on all these touchy-feely things, aren't I? <laughs> is this the spare the rod part, or is that later? Oh, <laughs> You know what? I already touched on that. God said that, you know, there would be discipline to come if, if uh, you know. But no, that's part of it, I'm sure. Well, most of you know that I'm very compassionate and soft-spoken and, and loving and caring. And non-confrontational. Non-confrontational and, and all You just kind of let things. a lot of things slide. I, I do. Yeah. I just live and let live. Um, Case are off. Yeah. So obviously that is not my strong point. I am not compassionate. Uh, 20 years, 20 plus years of emergency medicine and dealing with a bunch of crybabies has ruined me for probably the rest of my life. Um, and it's worn off and rubbed off on my kids and on my wife. And she asked me every day, what did I do to them and her? Um, but last year in October. Um... Yes! Not All right, yet, get not we got yet. this on video, not there right? Yet. All right, no, it's happening. Oh. They yes. started first. Um, Here's the thing about tears: you can't control them, man. They just come. Isn't that right, buddy? I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> that's okay. It just kind of yeah, takes yeah. over. Yeah, that's okay. It's a preventative tissue. Preventative tissue. It's warding off evil spirits. <laughs> Um, last October, my brother was killed in a car accident, and he was missing for about 36 hours. My parent, He lived with my parents still, and they didn't know what happened. He went out to do some work and never came home, and they never heard from him again. And they didn't, that wasn't like him. He wasn't out partying, doing stuff like that. So for him being gone for more than 12 hours was not, was not right. And uh, so they called us, and we told the boys that your uncle's missing, something's not right, so we'll be praying for it. And later that night, um, they finally found, got a hold of people and found out he was killed in a car accident. Um, so the next morning, I had the uh, job of telling my boys that they found him and, and that he was killed in a car accident. And I guess this is uh, kind of the warning of crying wolf because they kind of looked at me like, he normally makes jokes, but this isn't something he would make a joke about. And, and finally, I'm going to say, yeah, he's serious. That's happened. And, and for me, I lost a brother that I really didn't know. He was 20 years younger than me. I had moved out before he was born. Um, so I knew him as another one of my kids almost, just kind of the obnoxious little brother that, but also a kid age and wasn't, we weren't close at all. Um, but the boys, he wasn't just their uncle, he was their friend because they were the same age. Um, so they lost essentially their best friend and their brother. And that's what, that day, their pain is what affected me the most. And that compassion that I don't have, that I tell you, get over it, you'll be fine, came on me and I was able to comfort them and let them know that it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through it. And that compassion that, that I had for them reminded me of the compassion that God has for us when we're doing something that we cause of our own, but he still has that compassion towards us and care for us that yeah. he doesn't want to see us hurting. He doesn't want to see us grieving, whether it's something we caused or not. Yeah. Um, and for the next probably about a month between going back and forth to California for being with my parents and the funeral and the burial and 
say it was the month from hell is kind of an underestimate, but we, uh, his compassion got to flow through me way more than I ever wanted to <laughs> um, for not only my kids, but also for the rest of my family. Um, so that, and, and not even major things like that, but little things as a father, that compassion just kind of wells up in you and you don't expect it when your kids are hurting or they're grieving or when they've got something wrong. And when most of the time is get over it, you'll be fine. When the compassion comes up, you know, and God tells you, God will give you that compassion when it needs to be time for compassion. You know what I like about love is it's not all flowery and, uh, you know, pink um, necessarily. And um, I, I, <laughs> burly in other words. It can be gnarly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, and this is what this is what I would say about my my understanding of Daniel, and it's and it's been for quite a few years now. I've, how many years is it? Uh, um, Pushing ten. Twelve years. <laughs> um, Eleven years. Yeah. But Daniel really sees himself uh, quite differently than he actually acts a lot. Um, because love is not just about saying really nice things all the time. It's, it's what you do. And um, this is something that I've just noticed in Daniel. That, and it's, it's like John was saying. It's, it's everything you're doing is, is communicating in, in a fathering role. It's not just, um, you know, you might be brusque. You might, be, you, you might not have ni really nice words all the time. But what do you do? And, and that's, that's, that's been an expression of love to me. I don't know if I've ever heard you say you love me, Daniel. <laughs> but, but I know you do because I, I, it, it's in those times when, because, when, uh, um, you know, when you, you have reason to, to, to shut somebody off or to be negative towards somebody, and you choose not to, and you choose to support them instead. And I don't know, I've just felt that a lot myself, but... I mean, he's got like friends that he'll travel across the country to, to spend a week with or something. And, and it's like, you know what? There's a soft side to this guy, you know? I only have There's... two friends. It makes it easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people have a whole lot more, you know, Facebook friends or whatever that they wouldn't go, you know, across the street to actually see. Um, you know, what, but, but what I see, it, it, and this is, this is part of, of fathering, and I know he's built it into his, his children, you know what? They, they they get disciplined. They get that that uh, that rod of affection. But um, um, but what they see is is maybe not what even what you see. But it's it's coming from. I, and I see it as a relationship with God. It's, it becomes from your your commitment to God becomes a commitment to people that's coming from the same place as a heart of love. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that a father can do. Is what are you doing? You know, there's a there's a lot of flowery words going on in the world today that don't mean a thing. You know, and they're trying to put fathers into this. Oh, you got to be all soft and gooey and and whatnot. And no, no, it's it's you can be you can be gnarly, you can be tough, you can be a man, but what are you doing? How committed are you to people? What are you going to do when there, there's a challenge? I don't know. I was just inspired by that when I was. Looking at you. It comes back from the, the role model of my father. And 
the role model of his father and, and God and, and all that stuff. And it just, like you said, it kind of comes out of you in your actions, whether you want it to or not, or whether you, you mean it to, it just kind of happens. And they know that beat them often, beat them early, you won't have to do it when they're older. <laughs> and they know that when they got in trouble, they knew they deserved it, and they knew that it was for their good, for their own good. And it, and it, it wasn't, wasn't just angry. Just it anger. It wasn't just, hey, I'm bored today. Let's go get the stick. It was, it, they knew what was going on, and they knew why. It's because you and cared about the them. the time, it didn't happen again. Right. Yeah. I've heard the example that if, uh, uh, if you ever get burned by fire, you don't get burned by fire again. Um, so... <laughs> back to the uh, emergency room and uh, but they won't do that again yeah 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 uh john so how has father fathering impacted your personal development i think you related to that already somewhat but um and and you almost can't help uh being affected you you, you were talking about losing sleep and everything else but um uh, how has it, it actually changed what you're able to be yourself as a result of, of being a father? I, I, there we go. Going through uh, uh, the divorce that I went through, uh, I'd been married for 11 years. My boys were five and seven uh, when I met Debbie. They were six and eight when we got married. But uh, going through that was one of the worst things I'd ever gone through in my life. And through taking care of them and uh, trying to figure out what God wanted out of my life, uh, I came much closer to God. Uh, very dependent on God to get me through on a daily basis. <clears throat> and... Having gone through all that, uh, it was a growth process in me spiritually that I hadn't uh, gone through before in my life. Uh, I came uh, very dependent on my relationship with the Lord. Uh, was that was that for areas of your soul? Uh, did, because, you know, when you say that, you know, you're, you're trying to make life work in the middle of, of caring for your own soul, in the middle of it, and finding peace. Well, it, it, was, it was during that time that <clears throat> the Lord let me use the power of, of, of using his name to, to drive a devil out of my life. Uh, the devil yeah. was trying to destroy my life uh, and trying to destroy my family, uh, uh, just everything about me and uh, as a result I realized who was trying to destroy me and I reached out to God and used the power of his name to tell the devil to get out of my life and he did and I, I had peace in my life for the first time in, in, in months hmm. and through that process uh, that I went through uh, and it, it happened over and over that first day I used the power in the name of Jesus to to tell the devil to get out, and peace came back every time. And as time went on, the peace lasted longer and longer and longer and longer. But from that point, I knew I had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, one that was not ever going to be broken. 
because he allowed me to use the power that is in his name to, to have victory over the devil. And I knew from that point on I was going to have a victory over the devil no matter what in any aspect of my life. And, and, that, uh, and, and a lot of that had to do with uh, wanting to be a, a good parent to my, to my children, uh, do the right thing by them, uh, raise them right. Uh, it wasn't uh, too long after that that I, I met Debbie and uh, told her that I was not interested in getting serious about anybody for a year at least because I was too broken up from the divorce, and uh, I found myself five months later marrying her. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, uh, I wanted to ask her to marry me so bad that, uh, and I was so scared to do that, that I would just get up and leave the room so I wouldn't ask her to marry me. <laughs> and uh, she went on vacation with the boys and I camping, and we were out having a picnic lunch one day on a picnic table, and the kids were off running around, and there was no room to run out of. And I asked her, will you marry me? And she said, of course. And uh, so one of the advices that I have for all you young men is pick the right mate. Uh, that is so important. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what I would have done if she hadn't come into our lives. Uh, it was a, a real godsend for her to come in and uh, be the mother. She, she gave up her right to have her own children to be the mother to my children. And that was a real sacrifice on her part. Wow. So uh, pick the right mate. It's, it's so important. And be unified. You know, we, we never argued about discipline with the children, and we had some different viewpoints on that, but we always talked about it privately. We didn't argue in front of the kids. We didn't, we didn't dispute in front of the kids. We stayed unified. And you need to stay unified with your children uh, in all aspects. If you, need, if you need to discuss stuff, great. Go in the bedroom, shut the door, and discuss it. Yeah. But don't ever do it in front of the kids. They see you at odds with each other, and that, that makes them unsettled, uh, unsure of what's going to happen. But if they always see you unified in whatever aspect of their lives that you're dealing with, uh, th that's a security they have. You know, there was a, a, a test they did one time where they had a school that the kids were playing out on the playground, and they all played out near the fence and everything like this. They took the fences down, and the kids all congregated around the buildings because they were not comfortable without barriers to the schoolyard anymore. The kids want boundaries. You've got to set the boundaries, and you've got to stick by them. Uh, there, there's so much involved in being unified and, and, and setting boundaries for your children that you, uh, that you learn along the way. I didn't know about that to begin with. Uh, you just got to learn as you go on a lot of the stuff. So don't believe in Dr. Spock. He was full of crap. <laughs> He, he was, he was, and, but, you know, God will, God will teach you, and I'm sorry, I used that word, I shouldn't. Uh, it's descriptive. God, yeah. God, God will show you, and if, if you just rely upon him, he'll, he'll guide you along the whole way. Amen, that's good. That's so good.
All right, we got one more here, uh, buddy. Uh, what practical things did you do or have seen done to lay the foundation for your child, children's faith, and what works and what doesn't? Yeah, you know, we've been hitting on a lot of these subjects, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll simplify it in at least how I think of it, because I think in threes, right? My brain only goes so far. I can only stretch it so far. So I, I, when I said be present, and, and when I say be present, um, it's not just being there like we're hanging out. It's actually being present, like participating. Like, that means you have to listen. You know, have you ever had a conversation where only one person talks? <laughs> it's not really, you're right. not really present, are you? You're just a body sitting there listening. You get so tired. You, you actually have to have two-way conversation. You have to be participating in understanding, which means you have to, you know, understand what they're feeling and what's going on, what's taking place. You, you have to. You have to be there and have a conversation with them. You have to be participating in the activity. You have to have a chance to, and that's my second point, is to set the example or the standard that, you know, Johnny was talking about. I think you you absolutely, you know, it says it in Proverbs 22, 6, you know, raise the children up. Uh, and it, it, that's what we're doing is we're setting a standard. We're, we're setting the example. And I, I think a part of that that's so important is the faithfulness to it, being consistent. Because um, you all have said this, too. If you're not consistent, it shows lack of integrity. If you show lack of integrity, it'll, it'll call, cause, you know, waves of, of, yeah, I'll listen to you on that. Maybe I won't listen to you on this other thing, and you're inconsistent. They don't know if they can actually trust or believe you. Uh, you don't become stable. You use the word boundaries and stable. You don't become a stable source of which they can convert to or look to or, you know, get guidance from. So, you know, setting example is, is, you know, you started off with, you know, you're going you're gonna to stop doing all the stuff that you want to do. And you're going to have some time, but not a lot of time, but you're going to focus in on so much more, for, you know, directed towards them. That's part of it in my book is you're, you're, you're always trying to set an example. You know, with our kids, hold on bullet two, I'll come to three in a second. But with our kids, you know, we, we, we had an opportunity with the church, you know, bringing them into church a lot. And I think they were, McKenna probably was like, I mean, she was born into it, really, because you all came down in 2004, and she was born in 2003, yeah. so she was kind of born into it, and so she was kind of always helping and doing things, and so they were always, you know, whether it was working the sound booth, or it was, at the time, we used to have to uh, put up the chairs and take down the chairs, wrap and the load cords. trailers, and wrap cords, and we had to, you know, we were a mobile church at that time, so uh, we had to move a lot and do a lot, and so they participated in it, and so they were, they were participating, and, and even in the services, they would do, you know, um, songs and in, in, um, where you had motions and you, you were you were doing things. They were involved. They were active. And that's just one example of many upon which you can set an example. And once that example, I'm present. She, you know, Sandra's present, and they're participating in it. But we're also setting an example of, you know, where we put our trust, yeah. where we put our time, where we put our attention. What's the most important thing? And they got to see some of that. The third, I would say, is empowerment. I think it's so critical because you, you have to go back to my point about drive. You have to let them. You have to let them grow. You have to give them a chance to, you know, fail fast, make mistakes. Um, you know, they have to have a chance to operate. If you're going to give them guidance and you're going to set an example, they have to have a chance to operate under that. They have to try it. So if you're not always, you know, setting the stage for them uh, and try and letting them get a chance to be empowered to make decisions to do things, then what happens when you're not there? What happens when they turn 18? What happens when they, you know, leave the house? Are they, you know, are they ready? So we used to have those conversations when they were little, 
we would tell them, we'd say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you more and more responsibility. You're going to get to do more and more things. And it's like a rope. I'm going to keep on giving you more rope. But if you mess up, I'm pulling the rope in. It's okay if you make mistakes. I want you to make mistakes when you're with me so I can kind of guide you and correct you. But, you know, I want you to be ready by the time you leave the house. You know, there is no more rope. Yeah. So you do all you can. Almost. You have to empower. That's, you probably used that. You have to empower them. You have to, you have to give them a dry, chance. Dry. Didn't use one. Yeah, you, you have to. It, it, it's, you know, it's okay. To, it's okay as dads to cry. It's okay. It, it, it's, it's, um, it's an important thing. So, once again, being present, I think, is huge. These are just some key things. There's so many more. But set the right example, I think, is huge. And, and giving, you know, empowerment to them so that they can learn and grow and, and uh, you know, develop in this wonderful thing we're talking about, the example we're setting, uh, all the direction we're giving them, they have to have a chance to implement it in their life as well. You can't control it. You can't, you can't force it. You can't make it happen. Because you think about it that way, God didn't want it with us that way either. In our relationship with God, it's all about empowerment to us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, you know, given his son to die on the cross to give us the empowerment through his grace. And we've been given that empowerment through his grace. It's not just salvation, it's empowerment. And, and so we've been given that through the cross. And he wanted us to go in our journey and learn how to be faithful and obedient to him and grow in him. We should do the same thing with our kids. We should, we should set the example, but also give them a chance to grow. So just, just a question with regard to that, because, um, you know, again, in this, in this uh, Dr. Spock uh, environment. Does everybody know who Dr. Spock is? I'm not real familiar with him, but I don't, I'm not too worried about not being too familiar with him. But um, um, I think it, it has to do with kind of letting kids do what they want to do maybe a little bit and, um, and not, not disciplining necessarily. Um, just with regard, because this is something uh, um, that what sets us apart as godly fathers from, um, from the world or what the world could provide um, what, what sets us apart, um, and, and where do you, where do you, because uh, when, when kids are coming up, they're, they're very, I mean, we're seeing this in our society right now, they're very, kids aren't, they don't, they don't have an identity already completely. It's being formed. Part of it is biological, but a lot of it, they're, they're very uh, vulnerable. They're very, um, I mean, they're, they're not going to do a lot of stuff unless you make them, you know. And, and when it, what the Word of God tells us is that you put the Word in their mouth. You put discipline in their mouth. You do set some things, and, and you take some of the choices away from them at first. And, and I mean, we do this in, in the natural. I mean, you don't run stop signs, you know. There's just some things you're, you're, you just don't get to do. You know, and as a result of that, you get to live better as a result of it. But we, especially as as men of God, when it comes to fathering, and and I mean, the world will admit that that our 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 nation is is sick because of lack of fatherhood, but not just any kind of fatherhood. Where does that come from? You know, it comes comes from the standards that we get from the Word of God. And I know that for me, my, my dad's a wonderful person. But I used to sit on his shoulders. Every night we had devotions. And we were reading the Bible. 
and, and he had this he had this Bible thing set up. He got me to read. I was I would read myself every day because that's what he set up for me to do. You know, and, and what, what I find is those those scriptures that I got when I was a kid, they come out of me now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I'm when I'm needing an inspiration, it's it's it, and even direction or what do I do or peace or whatever else. It's not just a random thing that I just you know got, but it, it's something that I saw and I got this from my dad. It's like what what's he building his life upon? It's it's what God said about something. You yeah, know, that's and setting a, that example. It's God that you got to show him. Uh, you got to in order to be present with them and set an example in prayer. You have to pray with them. Yeah, if you're gonna, so you're set, living the life before them. Yeah, you're gonna set an example of reading the word and getting into the word and what that really means, how to study the word. You're gonna have to be present and do it with them. You're gonna have. That's how you teach, right? You can't just do it remote. Right. <laughs> and we we like to do a lot of remote stuff right now, but you have to be present. You have to be part. Zoom isn't the same, is it? It's, it's not, not the same. Right. It's not, you have to be active in that. Yeah. Uh, and that helps that whole journey of their growth, and in the. the you know, the amazing part to me, you guys could probably test this too, that, you know, once you're empty nester doesn't mean you're over. <laughs> I learned. <laughs> you still you still participate. You, you're yeah. still doing that kind of stuff. You're still giving them insight. You're still trying to insert wisdom, and you're still trying to point them uh, to the Word of God. Maybe it's through your own experience or whatever that's taking place, but you keep on pointing them back to the Word of God. You know? We, you know, I... Because I'm thinking about my, my parents now, and they don't really leave their house too much anymore, you know. Uh, and mom and dad, hi <laughs> from your house. Um, but um, but what you develop in your personal relationship with God when nobody else is around, when you are in your house now, uh, what you're doing in your personal life, it doesn't stop. You still have that relationship with God where my dad and mom, Prayers are not a small thing. Prayers make a difference. They change things. And my parents are praying for me. They're parenting me. They're not just praying any kind of prayer. They're praying a parent prayer over me. You know, it's like this, it, this is still going on and it's still effective. And when I call up and I talk to them, I mean, remember, the, was it last year at the, at the prayer thing? Remember dad prayed the way dad prayed? I mean, it's like, wow, dad, you know, it's powerful. Why? Because he never stops that role. Because in God, we have something different than the world has. It's, you know, the, the, the direct line is, is released, but the heavenly line, it, it, man, how powerful that still is. And, man, I, go ahead. No, I'm agreeing with you. I yeah. 100% can see that um, in, in operation, even in my own life, but with my kids, too. It's a, it's a continual conversation. It's a continual growth. It's a continual development. And what the, the coolest part is, is in my helping them, I'm developing myself. So yeah. it's kind of like you're saying, you're giving, right? You find yourself in a state where you're starting to give more. That's what I find now is I'm giving more in that arena and doing that. I'm finding development in myself. I'm finding and identifying things that might help them out, but at the same time, it's a discovery for me. So it's a continuation of our relationship, you know, as father and kids, but it's also... Uh, continued relationship with me and my father. It's really cool. You know what I think is wonderful about this is that um, it's not something you have to. It's, it's like John, you were saying that um, that 
everything you do is being observed. Um, but, but what we have in God is that we don't turn into an actor when we get around our kids. We're just being real. But you can't be real with something that you're not when you're not around the kids. And, and I, you know, and it's like, like Buddy, um, and, and you're this way too. I mean, you're, you're on your own a lot. You know, you, you got window time or, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're going off and, and you're alone. What are you doing in those times is, is determines whether you're going to be real when you're in front of the child. Because the child can tell. You think you're living a life by yourself somehow or, you know, character and impurity and what you're doing when the doors are closed and you think you're alone? No, because the kids can read whether you're real when you get in front of them in a way that requires that continuance when when you're not around anybody. Um, this relationship we we have with God enables reality in front of people that that you don't. It's um, necessary. That's what's missing, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you referenced it, right? What are we missing in society today? That's the kind of stuff we're definitely missing in society today. Yeah. Well, we're lacking integrity, and and uh, and a lot of the uh, lacking fathers in a lot of sense. We're lacking identity in Christ in a lot of sense. There's there's a lot of that taking place. Um, and, and it's evident. It's evident in the kids' lives when it's not there. And yeah. like you said, in the shadows, if there's things going on, that, that comes out. It ulti- ultimately becomes evident in the kids' lives. You cannot well. hide it's, the, uh, privacy. You said a legacy, right? You said it earlier. The yeah. things we do as fathers help establish continued legacy. Whatever we do in present, whatever we do in the shadows, it matters. It matters. It establishes a legacy for, for our family. The deception family. is that what I'm doing in my privacy is not affecting anything. Yes. And it's just as powerful as when you're in front of people because That's right. it determines the legitimacy of your, uh, when you're in front of people. John. You know, none of us are perfect. I'm not a perfect dad. None of y'all are perfect parents. But try to do the right thing. Just try to do the right thing all the time. The kids will see. They know you're not perfect. They're not perfect. But do the right thing. And when you do make mistakes, make corrections. If you have to, say you're sorry and move on. At least they'll see you're trying to do the right thing. And that, that's, that's so important. They can't be perfect. And if you're trying to raise them to be perfect, you're going to fail. But just raise them to do the right thing as much as they possibly can. And if they see you do, trying to do the right thing as best you can, they'll learn, they'll learn to try to do it too. That's good. We'll go in reverse order. I think Buddy was kind of hitting on this, how critical fatherhood is today. This is kind of our last question, but we'll just kind of continue. And, um, yeah, yeah, and you can pull all the statistics that show that fatherless homes are number one in crime and, and everything else. But nowadays, it's not even fatherlessness. It's the lack of fathering. And even right. homes with both parents, they're still a problem. They're not. Yeah, when I was growing up, I was probably the beginning of the end of the age of discipline. When I was a kid, it was the question was, should you use a spoon or a belt or what do you spank your kids with? 
when I started having kids, it was, you probably shouldn't spank them, but they definitely need a timeout. And now it's at the point where you can't even tell your kids no. Parents are afraid to tell their little children, two years old, one year old, no, because we want to have a conversation with about what they should do. And that lack of parenting and fathering is creating the problems we have today in society, where people have been, for the last 15, 20 years, have been not been told no or not been disciplined or let to do what they want because they're an individual and they can figure out what they want to do, have created all these issues of not knowing what sex you are, not knowing if a baby is a baby, not knowing whether we really need to be married, we just like each other a lot, we don't need a piece of paper. And it's gone completely overboard now. And that was, it started off with the lack of fathers and then morphed into the lack of fathering and parenting. And I mean, it's, it's evident today. The removal of discipline altogether becomes a lawlessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a deferral to lawlessness. Yeah. We're an end times church. Yeah. That we believe, what we, we see the signs of the time and we have a good understanding of what's going on. And we're in the end of the end times. And it's not just a lack of fathering, it's a rejection of the father. Yeah. That I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So the 60s was the same cultural revolution that I'm seeing playing out now. Now, I was 5 to 15 in the 60s. Absolutely vulnerable and and persuaded in every bit of that. Uh, came through it. I got saved when I was 14. So, it, you know, I, I got to turn the tide and... and uh, um, but there's a saying that, that is true, and I think we're seeing it now, and it, it, it goes, um, hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Now, let's say fathers. Hard yeah. times made good fathers. Yeah. And, and I had one of those fathers that my father created good times for us to live in man what a time we you know we we'd come out of world war ii and we're we're just flourishing as a nation and and growing in anything in any way you wanted to you could have that and then and then in the 60s we you know you can't tell me what to do. Go against the man. You know, it, it was it was it was peace and love, anti-tradition. Um, and those good times created some weak fathers. Yeah. And and I look I look around me, and with the exception of the church, you know, I don't I don't the fathers aren't out there. Used use some statistics on uh, on fatherhood. It's seventy five percent of the families don't have a father in the family and it's 88% in the black community. No wonder they yeah. have an identity crisis. Yeah. Black Lives Matter is a declaration, a revolution. They're, you know, they, they, they don't have, they, it's a rejection of the family 
that didn't support me, that wasn't there for me, that I never had. And so all of you who have those families and those fathers, I'm against you because you have, you know, you're, that's, that's not fair. That's not equity. Right. You, you, you shouldn't have that advantage. And to me, it's a rejection of the father. And that's what we need to see and hear. And that's what we need to be able to declare. Yeah. Yeah. We need to know the father's heart. So that we can respond with that, 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 you know, not, and not get into the argument of what you have and, and or I, I have and you don't. Right. But, but, but what, who, who, why my love for life is, is, has the value of it is worth living, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know where I heard this, but I want to live a life worth dying for. Yeah. Because you're going to die. And so. Yeah. I don't think people see it that way. It's what have I got now? What do, what do I, what do, what do, uh, what do I need to, that you took? I'm sorry. I, I didn't, no. I didn't go, I didn't intend to go this way and I didn't intend no, to No, that's last, good. But, you know, is, is that right? Is that, is, are we seeing the father rejected? And if that's true, then who are we to become? What is our place? What is our standing? What do we need to believe about our father? Not the father I had. Right. Yeah. Our father here, our father now. It's a real need. And it's not just to raise a family. It's not that father that's important. Right. That's so good. What are we going to do with it? Amen. Yeah, and I think it's whether you had a father, you didn't have a father, whether you had a great father or a horrible father, what you do with your life after that is up to you. Yes, it shapes it. Yes, it makes it hard. But ultimately, you make that decision on what you're going to do with that. I had a great father. But if I said I had a great father, so I don't have to do anything now, I'd be a horrible father. And now my kids would say, well, I had a horrible father. So one of them will say, I'm just going to be a horrible father anyways because I had one. And the other one will say, well, I'm going to be a good father. And we're just splitting this tree down, down, down until we got all horrible fathers or no fathers. So ultimately, it's up to the, the individual, the child, to determine what they're going to do with their life when they're an adult. You, you've got the Heavenly Father there with you. Whether you choose to accept that or not is up to you. But don't use that as an excuse that I didn't have a father or I had a horrible father. I know several people that didn't have fathers, had horrible fathers. They turned out better than I did. They've got more successful careers than I do. They've got other things going. It doesn't matter. It's what you choose to do with it and what you let God do with your life. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a responsibility, especially I think what we have in, in the world today, it, it is kind of ominous what's going on. But it's amazing what God can do in, in, in an individual that takes the reality of what we have in our relationship with God and, and, and lets it come alive in them to make a difference and make, make it good. Because there is an answer. It's not, there's terrible statistics, 88%. What do we do then right now? Do we despair? Or do we take what we do have and let it become a light? Let it, let it change who we are and say, this is what we have in God. And it's going to have to be in God, not just what we're thinking about anything. It's not just we, what we decide to do, but it's where, is, where are we deciding to do it from 
And it has to come from the word of God. And so I just want to read this in closing. I know we've, we've kind of got, this has been good though, hasn't it? Isn't it good to hear these guys? I mean, this has been, this has been awesome. It, it's, it's kind of different, but I think it's really great, uh, to, to, man, to hear some stories and stuff. But I, I want to end on this because our, our, our faith, our hope, our, our direction, our strength, what we can do as fathers, what we can, what we can pray for in the fathers that we, you know, we got a lot of ladies here. What are you praying for in that father in your life, either your own father or your husband? How do you affect them? And it's going to be by the power of the word of God, but not just the word of God, but the spirit of God. It's going to have to be something that actually influences them to be who God needs them to be. I, I really believe that there's a light that's getting, it's, it's a fire that's growing in our nation right now of people that are, are turning back to God. This is, we're, we're getting into the times that make strong men now. You know, we're getting into those times where people are starting to realize, no, we can't just play and have our fun and just do whatever we want to do, but we have to run back to God. And there's only one way that God accepts you. He, I mean, he accepts you as you are, but he says, if you're going to please me, you're going to have to please me by what you decide to do. And, and what you decide to do has to coincide with what I've said. And so this is why in Deuteronomy, I just want to read this kind of in closing if we can, because, um, you know, it's talking to the children of Israel, and the, and the children of Israel, I mean, they, they had some good examples and a whole bunch of really bad examples, uh, and how a whole nation can be destroyed because a man doesn't take his place and do what God has provided for him to do. And, and it says, uh, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, starting in verse 6, there it says, and these words I am commanding you this day shall be first in your own minds and hearts. So this is, fathering isn't just telling your kids what to do. It's deciding to do something yourself. And we've, I mean, we've, we've talked about this in detail. It's modeling it. It's, it's being it. But it, it, what is it being? It's, it's being what God has given us from his word. It becomes alive. The word of God is, is quick. It's powerful. It's, it's, it, it will make a difference in your life if you let it do that. And, but then it says, and you shall wet and sharpen them. What are those? The words. That means you make them effective. What, 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 what does the word of God do? It's got to make a change in your life. It's got to be something that, that, that defines who you are as a, as a person. It's not just me trying to be good. It's me doing what God says and, and, and being devoted to him. And it says, you shall wet and sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach and impress them diligently upon the minds and hearts of your children. Isn't that wonderful? God, when he says, I'm going to be your father, that's what he says I'm going to do. I'm not just going to be there. I'm going I'm to take who I am and make, make it part of who you are. Right? And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. What does that sound like? It sounds like all the time, doesn't it? And I think this is one of the biggest things as fathers that is missing is there's never a discussion of what God says about anything. We get barraged with a bunch of nonsense about what a bunch of bobbling heads think about this and that and put a DR in front of their name like they're somebody. And we're supposed to listen to that 
and learn how to live a life that makes sense. And we do not give any time to what God says. This says, if you're going to if you're going to walk in the way that God is, He's our Maker. Not only not only does He know what we're good at, He knows what we can become. And, and He says, if you'll just listen to what I've said, and let that be something that you're actually thinking on. And I think it's the responsibility of the fathers. Are we going to have devotions? Are we going to listen to what God says? We had a little Proverbs in our in the middle of our breakfast table. We had breakfast together every morning. And we would get out of Proverbs. We would read the Proverbs. Why? Because it matters what God says about stuff. And his wisdom has to rise above any other wisdom. And it has to be something that you talk about. Is it a subject of discussion? Because if it's not, he's not going to be able to influence anything. But it has to start, what I like about this, it has to, be, it has to start in you. It's like we were talking about the character thing. It's got to be what you're doing before you get in front of the, you don't just say, hey, kids, we're going to have devotions. I haven't been spending time with God, but boy, howdy, are we going to do it together? Right? Better be something that you were doing before they even got up in the morning. You got up and you made sure that you're spending time with God. This is not a, an option. <laughs> what we choose to do, do alone and especially as fathers is... is it's, it's, it's the answer. It's, it's not just because, again, you can get all kinds of psychologists deciding what fathers should be doing. But until you decide what, until you defer to what God is saying, we're never going to get the real answer. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 